Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Beloved in the Lord, you, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen to be receivers of God's blessing and his privilege. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to be sons and daughters in his kingdom. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to have a life of flourishing even as, even as we live in obedience to the words and the ways of Jesus. You see, this, Peter is saying, is true. You are chosen. Peter says in chapter two, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you were without mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, this is true, friends, that you and I, we possess an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us until Jesus comes again or till we see him face to face. This is true. But it is also true that we are sojourners. We are temporary residents in a foreign place. This world, this world in which we live, in all of its brokenness and pain and hurt and shame and guilt, this world is not our home. Our residence here is only temporary. Uh, the psalmist would say as much, kind of early in the Psalter, where the psalmist writes, he says, our days, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. And yet, the psalmist writes, and yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow, for they, those days quickly pass and we fly away. So we are temporary residents here, temporary residents in a foreign place, which means, church, that the brokenness and the pain and the shame and the guilt, even death, those things are temporary too. And so as we live here then, we live here as chosen sojourners. And as we do, we hold on to a future glory, allowing us then to see, to see our suffering and our hardship and our trials as tools that God will use to grow us in the likeness of Christ. And so what are we to do, right? What are we to do then here on earth? What are we to do as chosen sojourners? How are we, how are we to, to live? Uh, as noted by Peter through Pastor Adam, right? We need to bloom where we are planted. And by doing so, we become a glimpse of the eternal beauty here on earth. This, friends, this, this blooming where we're planted, it is such a powerful witness to those not walking with Jesus, a powerful witness to those who are far from the Lord. It is a powerful witness to an unbelieving world. 
Today, we're going to continue to allow Peter to inform and shape our lives as chosen sojourners in the world. So I'm going to want you to get a Bible, either the one that you brought with you or the one that we provide, and we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to dive in kind of in the middle. So you're going to find 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to hang on right at verse 13. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, hanging on to verse 13. Now, now, as you get there, Peter, Peter is going to help us. Listen, this is important. Peter's going to help us see the connection between the life that we live and the witness that we give. Well, let me, let me say it again. Peter, Peter's going to help us see the connection between the life that we live and the witness that we give. And this life that we live, specifically in the context of 1 Peter, is the life that we live collectively. It is the life as the body of Christ in the world. So the life that we live as the body of Christ, this life that we live collectively has a collective witness to the world around us. How we love one another, how we behave together, how we live together is a witness to a world and a culture that is watching. Now, I want to I pause here for just a moment because I, because I think that, that Potentially, potentially, it could be a difficult concept for us in the Western church to understand. Because, friends, we live in a hyper-individualistic culture. That is just true. One in which, by the way, we believe that we are responsible for and accountable to nobody but ourselves. That is the culture in which we find ourselves. In fact, we often forget or we, we actively ignore how our choices and our behaviors affect the communities which we are a part of. How our individual choices affect our families, the teams that we work with, the teams that we play with. Right, I believe that this hyper-individualistic culture, right, this is a, a distinctly Western trait. Since communities, interestingly, communities in the East, certainly in the ancient Near East, but in the Near East today, those communities are far more collective or communal. Now, I love, friends, I love when films that we watch speak of truths. And one of my favorite movies, Karate Kid 2, does this, right? Where uh, the, the plot of the movie is basically this. Daniel's son, he goes to Okinawa, and he encounters the nephew of his teacher, Mr. Miyagi. Encounters the nephew of Mr. Miyagi's former friend turned enemy. Now, I get that's gripping film, right? I, I get it. But there's an interesting moment in the film where the, the nephew, the nephew refuses to act. And when the nephew refuses to act, it is said by the uncle, you have brought shame not to yourself, but you have brought shame to the family. 
In other words, it's not just the nephew who must deal with that shame, but the shame is transferred to the whole family. Now, friends, there are many places in the Old Testament where we see this exact same thing happen, but none quite as clear as Exodus chapter 34, where Yahweh is promising to the people of God that he is going to bring justice to the guilty. He's going to look at the guilty ones, and he's going to bring justice to them. Now, here's what he says. He says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So so you hear what's happening, right? Uh, Something goes poorly in the choice or the behavior of a person. And Yahweh is promising in Exodus 34 that he's going to bring justice not just to them, but to their children and their children's children. The consequence of that choice and behavior, the shame that's brought to that person transfers to the whole family. There is a, there is a collective kind of guilt and shame. And so when Peter then... In chapter 3, verse 13, that verse that I wanted you to hold on to, let's look at it. When he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? That you, that he says, that you is not a singular you. It is a plural you. So he's saying, who's going to harm y'all? if all y'all do good. That's what he's saying. He's not talking to us as individuals. He's actually talking to us as the body of Christ. You see, Peter, Peter assumes a collective life together. And so, how we love one another, how we behave with one another, how we live together, that is a collective witness to the world. Now, we have glimpses of this kind of collective witness and collective shame in our Western culture as well. It often happens in sports teams, theater troops, marching bands, right? When, when one person jacks it up for the whole team. I remember in high school basketball, if you didn't run the drill right as an individual, guess who ran? Everybody. Right? The shame of one player lands on everybody. We see glimpses of it here. And so like it or not, the life that we live together, this collective life, we as the church, the, the life that we live, it is the witness that we give. And so how then can we as the church, how can we as the saints of Holy Cross, how can we as the family of faith live together that will give a positive witness to the world? That's what Peter is getting after now as we dive in to 1 Peter chapter 3. going to start at verse 8. He's going to give us the how-to, all right? Here we go. Verse 8, chapter 3. Peter writes, finally, all of you. Again, he's saying, all y'all, right? He's saying, use guys, right? He's saying, yins, like all y'all, finally, all y'all. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, 
Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you, so that you, all y'all, so that all y'all may inherit a blessing. You see, what's described here, what's described here is a, is a, is a collective attitude, a collective behavior. In that big, long list of things that Peter is saying, this is our collective behavior and attitude together. And we're going to take them slightly in turn. So let's start with the first one. Be like-minded. As members of the body of Christ, we are to have the same. Now, the word here, like-minded, means attitude or thought. As the body of believers, we are to have the same attitude or thought. Well, Peter... How is that possible? Right? We all know that you put 25 people in a room, you have 25 different opinions, right? Maybe even more than 25 opinions. And so how is it, how is it he expects that the body of Christ would be one-minded? How is it possible? And what does Peter mean? Well, we know that as followers of Jesus that we are to think about the world differently than the world thinks about the world. Peter says early, very early in his letter, he says, with minds that are alert. I want you to act with minds that are alert and sober. So basically saying, I want you to act as those who have an inheritance And because you do, I don't want you to be intoxicated by the narratives of the culture around you. I don't want you to be intoxicated by the way the world thinks about the world. I don't want you to be intoxicated by the way they think about the world. And so Peter, interestingly, like Paul in Romans chapter 12, who says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Peter is saying that our attitude, our thinking, the narratives by which we see the world must be shaped by Christ himself by both his words and his ways, that we collectively are to have the mind and the attitude of Christ. And if we do, then our behavior, then our behavior will begin to look like his. So that collectively we look more and more and more like Jesus. Now, there's this really interesting thing that happens in the book of Acts. If you go to the book of Acts, kind of right at the beginning, after Jesus ascends into heaven, he sits down at God's right hand of power, those early disciples who are powered by the Holy Spirit, they are sent to preach and to teach, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and some, some are actually in the process of working miracles. But here's the crazy thing. If you were reading the book of Acts, and you, in your reading, simply covered up the names of who's doing those lengthy sermons and who's performing those miraculous things, when you looked at it with no names, you would probably assume it's Jesus. 
It sounds like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. You see, the disciples, interestingly, the disciples had spent so much time walking with Jesus that their minds and their attitudes and their behaviors looked more and more and more like Jesus. Now, now I want us to pause and just ask in our own mind's eye and ask in the earnestness of our heart, what witness based on the behavior of the church, what witness are we giving the world? If we answer that question honestly, if we look at how the church is behaving together in the world, what witness is it giving to that world? It seems, as I interact with young people, that the witness that the church is giving the world is not one they want to participate in. In fact, a lot of young people that I have conversations with can't make a distinction between the world and God's people. It looks shockingly similar to them. And so, why, why get involved? In a culture of outrage, it seems that I've got a culture that's yelling, and there are lots of Christians that are yelling. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. And so in your mind's eye and in your own heart, if you think about the behavior of the church, about the attitude and the mind that we possess as the church here today, what witness are we giving? Peter is saying, listen, friends, we need to be of one mind, one thought, one attitude. And that, that thinking, those narratives, that attitude, those behaviors are shaped by Christ himself, his words and his ways. You know, I said at the beginning that one of the reasons we fill out that connect card is of course so that we know you're here. But as we grow in Christ's likeness, right, as we grow in Christ's likeness, we, we should see greater participation in worship why? Because this is the place, friends, where God promises to show up in his words and around this table. This is the place, by the way, where God shapes us in his narratives, in his way of thinking. It is the place that you and I come under this word together, collectively, to learn from Jesus himself. And so as we grow in Christ's likeness, I should see more and more people who are a part of this collective journey together for the sake of the shaping of our attitude and of our mind. So that we can live in the narratives of the scripture rather than the narratives of the world. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Right? I'm not saying that your study of the scriptures in your own home is a bad thing. Not at all. You should definitely study the scriptures at home. You should definitely read your Bible. You should definitely pray on your own. But it cannot, it cannot replace the collective journey together. This is the place where we 
coming under the authority of his word are shaped to have the same mind and attitude and behavior. Now, what is that attitude and behavior? Uh, Peter goes on to say, here it is in verse 8, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Friends, I don't think there could be a clearer difference between the narrative of the world and the narrative of the gospel. Don't repay evil with evil. We, we live in a culture of outrage. We just yell at each other, driving us to the far ends of the world. Don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil, Peter says, with blessing. Because <laughs> to this you were called, so that, so that you might inherit a blessing. Now, what is the blessing that we're going to inherit as we live out this attitude and mind and the behaviors of Christ? Peter quotes Psalm 34, and I love this. He says, whoever among you would love life and see good days. That's your blessing, friends. Just so we're clear. It's a life that you enjoy. It's good days. It is, as Jesus says in John 15, an abundant life. That's the blessing we possess when we live this collective mind and thought and behaviors together. Whenever, whoever among you wants long life, want to see good days, you must keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. The blessing we receive as we live this collective life together, bearing the mind of Christ himself, is a life of abundance. It is eyes of a father who sees his children and ears who hear their prayers. So Peter goes on, who? Who's gonna harm you all if you do good? Like who's going to harm you if you behave this way? But even, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do you see that theme come through in 1 Peter, right? Sufferings God uses to shape us and mature us in faith. So even if you suffer at the hands of a culture, you are blessed. Because God uses those to shape us in faith. It says, don't fear then. Don't fear. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But rather in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that they have. And do this with gentleness and respect. We'll stop here for just a second on verse 15 because I think, I think, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is often kind of ripped out of context. But in its context, Peter is saying the collective witness of the church to the world will be how the church behaves together. That's the witness to the world. The witness, the collective witness of the church according to Peter, is, is not going to battle against the culture. 
Right? It's, it's not banning books to read. It's not closing libraries. Right? It's, not making, it's not any of those things. The witness to the world is how we behave together. It's how we love one another. It's how we care for one another. It's how we have sympathy and compassion and humility. It is how we give of ourselves for the sake of one another. And when people see that, when they see that life lived collectively in this beautiful family of faith, when they see that, they're going to have questions because it looks different than the world they see every day. So they're going to say, like, why do you do what you do? Like, why do you behave the way you behave? What, how is it you can possibly do these things? So Peter's saying, hey, listen, church, I want, you, I want all y'all to be ready. Because when we live like this, people are going to want to know the hope that you possess. The thing that's living in you and me that's driving this one-mindedness. This deep care for one another, this sympathy for one another, this suffering with one another, the giving of our gifts to one another. They're going to want to know why. What a great invitation that when they ask, we can tell them. Why do we live this way? (laughs) Because we have a, a Savior and a Lord named Jesus. And he came for the whole world to draw them back into his family. And he'd, give his, he'd give his whole life so that I could be in that kingdom. So I'd come into a family of sisters and brothers in faith. Not only that, that he would conquer sin, death, and the devil for me and the whole world. Because that's true. This is, this is how we live in his family. Living with the same mind of our Savior and Lord, living the same attitude, living the same behaviors. You know, church, I find that in my prayers more and more, I'm not praying that the church gets louder in the culture, that that we somehow get the power back, that we're somehow the center of culture. But rather, I'm praying more and more that we could exhibit the kind of life that Peter is talking about. That as we live together, we would live like Jesus, that we would become more and more like him. That we'd have sympathy and compassion, humility, and a deep love for each other. Because that, Peter says, (laughs) that will make people really curious. So my prayer, my prayer, church, is that we, as this family of faith, just a small part of the Christian church on earth, and a small part of the Christian church here in America, a small part of the Christian church in Michigan, right? we were just a small part, but if, if we can be powered by God's Holy Spirit, willing to submit to his shaping and forming so that we could live this life collectively, it seems that that life we live will become the witness that we give. And what other witness do we want to give than the one that is Jesus? Amen? And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and every day. Amen.